0: May be seated. I have a couple of other announcements that, that uh, I need to make this morning. One is that I mentioned last week that we would be having a time at the Uh, community groups on Wednesday nights. Note that uh, the Scotia group, when it starts up again, will be on Wednesday nights and not on Monday nights. And uh, we are going to have the question and answer with the elders there and and some things we want to share and then also the opportunity for you to ask questions and and, uh, find out what's going on, this type of thing. So uh, the Scotia one we will be doing on the uh, 18th and the Fortuna one will be doing on the 11th. Reverse that. The Fortuna one will be doing on the 11th, <laughs> and the Scotia one will be doing on the 18th. And so uh, uh, the Scotia one won't be necessarily starting their Bible study that night, but we'll have that special night uh, community group meeting for that. So uh, put that on your calendars, and uh, anybody who's interested in coming, you can come to either or both of the groups, <laughs> and uh, we'll get together at that point. Uh, also, uh Robbie, are, are you in the, in the back room? Well, we just, we just want to say happy birthday to Robbie. There he is. Okay. So, uh, I'm going to have him come up here and stand and let's sing happy birthday to him.
1: Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Robbie. Happy birthday to you. <laughs>
0: By the way, his birthday was actually yesterday, and he's 34. <laughs> it says 34. Thank you, Robbie. <laughs> uh, let's pray as we open the word this morning. Father, we thank you that we could be here together this morning, Lord, uh it is an amazing thing to know the God of all creation as our Savior. Thank you, and as we come this morning and and worship you, we now worship you in the sense of opening your word together. Just the reality again to know that you have provided us a way to know you through your written word. Thank you. We ask through your Holy Spirit you'd open our hearts and our minds this morning that we might receive from you all that you have for each of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the fourth chapter of Matthew. And we'll be starting at the twelfth verse this morning. And so uh, I'd like to read uh, verses 12 through 17. Now, when he heard, Jesus says, Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Nephtali, so that what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in, that, in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we've gone through the book of Matthew. We actually started before uh, Christmas during the uh, uh, Advent time with uh, looking through the genealogy. Uh, of jesus and, and understanding that matthew was pointedly writing towards a jewish audience does not mean that he wasn't the, that he wasn't going to emphasize a ministry to the gentiles but especially looking at the prophetic picture of what jesus had done in, in fulfilling prophecy and his genealogy especially in the looking at it as a sense of he is a son of david and he has uh, the right to the throne of david he is the promised Messiah. So we went through the genealogy, and then in chapter one, also the birth of Jesus, and then we talked about the Magi coming, uh, and and again, the, even that idea of opening the door in the sense of Gentiles, they came and they worshipped him, brought their gifts for him, and then Herod's attempt to kill Jesus, and the the murdering of the children of, of Bethlehem, all recorded in Matthew chapter two, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, uh, escaping to uh to Egypt during that time. And then Herod dies, and, and they return. And because uh, Herod Antipas, the, the grandson of Herod the Great, was the, in charge, they, they, they skirted out of, of the, the Bethlehem area and went back to Nazareth. So all of that in chapter 1 and 2. In chapter 3, we enter into John the Baptist's ministry. John the Baptist had one purpose. As a prophet, the last Old Testament prophet, was to prepare the way of the Lord, to proclaim the Messiah, to proclaim, identify Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Messiah, the the, the the Christ. He did this by telling the people the need to repent, preparing their hearts to turn away from sin, baptizing them in a sense of of, of acknowledging that. And the one thing that then is, is Jesus' baptism, Jesus coming to fulfill all of the things of the law, And people don't see that sometimes, but John the Baptist being the last of the prophets, he came in the name of the Lord doing these things in the flesh. Jesus was baptized as any other man would have been baptized at that time, proclaiming God. Not because of his sin, but it was interesting. Somebody said, as a result, still in a sense identifying with us in our sin. He could relate to that. And so, John the Baptist's ministry, by the way, if you read that account in, in, in the sense of, of Matthew, uh, the, the, the Trinity being revealed very clearly there. I always am amazed when people say there's no, you know, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. Uh, and so, you know, somehow that, that doesn't apply. But you look at it, the Father is speaking of the son who is being baptized the son in whom he's well pleased as the holy spirit descends on him and rests as a dove in the symbol of and uh, in, in the form of a dove so all three being present there and then Matthew chapter 4 Jesus' temptations in the wilderness and so we've covered all of that material I wanted to go through that as we come into this picture of starting in in, in, in verse 12 it says when he heard that John had been arrested and the reason why uh, that's important to note is, is that if we, we put it in perspective and, we, and we, we look at this, between verse 11 and verse 12, a year has gone by. Again, because Matthew is writing for a specific purpose. He, he moves past what we would call uh, the ministry or the time of preparation of ministry for Jesus and, and the things that he was initially doing in his ministry. And he goes right to the point where John the Baptist is arrested. And, by the way, the reason that that is important is John the Baptist is arrested. His official public ministry, Jesus, begins. John the Baptist ends, closing the door to one point. Jesus begins. And the message that they both were proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of of heaven is at hand. So Jesus picks up where John the Baptist leaves off. And in that timing, perfect timing of God, the ministry is, is, is done. But I wanted to look uh, at this. We have verse 11. Then the devil left Jesus, and behold, the angels came and were ministering him. And then it's again going back to verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested. And so I was looking at this beginning of, of, of Jesus' preaching ministry. John is arrested. And and so we we look at this year and I and and realize that within that year is there any information? And the answer is yes. We have most of the information we have about that year comes out of the Gospel of John, starting with verse uh, chapter one verse nineteen and going on through uh, chapter th- uh, three and into chapter four. But in chapters one, one two and three we see the ministries of of Jesus and John, if you will, overlapping for a period of time. And so I wanted to, to take a, a, a brief look at that. And, uh, you know, we have uh, John the Baptist pointing to Jesus and, and, and John the Baptist's tribute to Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus in John chapter 1, starting with the 19th verse. And in the end of John chapter 3, he's identifying Jesus and witnessing uh, of Jesus. So, uh, what I'd like to share with you from is uh, several points of reading. And I'm going to share with you uh, from the life of Christ in stereo. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this book. It's not in print anymore, uh, but uh, I, I happen to have a few copies. If somebody really is interested, um, every time I see some, uh, either you know, I, I check out on Amazon periodically, and if I can find them reasonable enough, I, I pick up a few more copies. This gentleman and 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 his coworker with this uh but the, the, they basically committed a lifetime of putting together a a a, a ster- well the, the the gospels in stereo meaning in chronology order. Okay? In chronological order. And and so as you go through it, it You'll be reading one paragraph, and it'll have some some words from the Gospel of John, maybe, and 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 in the same paragraph, some words from Matthew, and, and and putting it together cohesively. And so, what we do is we we go through looking at the Gospel of John. I'm going to just share from you some of the the subtitles and going through it, and and just so that you'll understand what happened in that first year before we go on to the year of public ministry. And so. Some scholars call this the year of preparation. One uh, common one is the year of obscurity. Obscurity meaning that he didn't he didn't go into the public end of his ministry, proclaiming things that where he picked up with of John the Baptist. But anyways, just this picture, John chapter one verses nineteen through thirty four, and it says, and here is the affirmation of John uh, made when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him. Who are you? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. What he's, and when they said, Are oh, the prophet, thinking of the one that said that it would come like unto Moses, even, you know, we were looking for some answers to who you are. And then said they to him, Who are you? that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. He goes on and in, in it says, uh, uh, at a particular point it says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God. So here it begins. He's identifying Jesus. Jesus has been baptized already. Behold, the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. And and then his final acknowledgement was, you know, uh, is John made an affirmation saying, I saw the Spirit descending out of heaven as a dove. He's identifying Jesus still here in John chapter 1. I saw him descending out of heaven as a dove, and he abode upon him, or he rested on him. And I knew him not, but he who sent me to baptize in water, that same one said to me, Now who sent John the Baptist? God, okay, said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, He it is who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John fulfilling his purpose, his ministry. During this time in this first year, Jesus finds His first disciples. And and we're looking at Andrew, John, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and... uh, they, he, and they're identified in, in John as well. And then the first miracle that Jesus has done during this first year in the, in the, at the wedding feast in Cana, John chapter 2, where he turns the water into wine. And you'll notice he said to his mother, you know, as she was saying, it's not time yet, it's not time yet, meaning my public ministry is not now. But he went ahead and performed the miracle. And it was interesting, the, 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 the only people that knew about it were the servants, and the disciples, and it said because of this, and this is really important because he was doing it as much as anything for them, the disciples got it, and they believed. And so we have uh, this this picture of, of of all of this happening in this first year. There's a comment that is made by the author here, and and, and I want to share this with you at this point. He says, as the heading designates the central emphasis of this period that was, uh, was that of preparation. The preparation described is not only that of Jesus, the central figure involved, but preparation for the message to be presented by Jesus. The message is that Jesus came into the world, first of all, as the offered Messiah of Israel. All segments of the story build up to this presentation. The testimonies of Gabriel, Mary, Zechariah, the heavenly host, Joseph, Simeon, Anna, and the wise men, John the Baptist, Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel, all center about that message. He came as the promised Messiah in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. The story to this point then has progressed to the place where Jesus is about to present himself to the nation in fulfillment of this purpose. Appropriately, he will do this at Passover in Jerusalem, the nation's capital city. He does not come as the Passover lamb at this point, but as the messenger of the covenant in fulfillment of the prophecy of of Malachi, the Old Testament prophet, judgment had to proceed blessing. To this end, Malachi wrote, and the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to the temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who shall endure this day of His coming? And who shall stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And He will purify the sons of Levi. It goes on. So, in the following narrative, therefore, Jesus is seen appearing in the temple at Jerusalem, burning with zeal as hot as refiner's fire, seeking righteousness in the conduct of the temple on the part of the descendants of Levi, Judgment was to begin at the house of God. So all of this transpiring again was the cleansing of the temple that he did at the beginning of his ministry. That happened in this first year. And he, he basically said, take these things out of here. He, you know, Get them out of here. And, and, and can you imagine the, the, the priests and the scribes and, the, and, and actually the vendors uh, because of where they were I've I mentioned this before but the temple the court where they were was the court of the Gentiles this was made large during the time of, of the rebuilding of the temple and this is where they set up the only access that the Gentiles would have to catch a glimpse of God and understanding would be in this place as far as worship goes and they had turned it into a place of, of merchandising they were selling the, the, the lambs for the offerings in fact if you were traveling for Passover and you brought your own offering with you. By the time you got there, they would be able to look at it and say, "Well, it's 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 not really healthy. It's kind of skinny. It's not it's, it's not where it should be. It's not acceptable." But we have one right over here. that We will sell to you for your purposes. And of course, they're locked in. They, there's nothing else they can do. And so they were buying and sell you know selling the the, the sacrifices to be made. Also, even the money changers, it says, were in there. What they were doing was exchanging whatever currency you came with from whatever country uh, that you were coming from, for the temple coinage to make your pay, payment of temple, and they were doing so at a profit in the exchange. All of this happening in the court of the Gentiles. Jesus cleansed it, and he said, "This is supposed to be a house of prayer; you've made it a den of thieves." Again, all of this occurring in this first year. Um, Nicodemus. Coming to Jesus and, and uh, asking his questions. He's saying, "Man, it's obvious that you are somebody special here. What's going on? And, and, and Jesus making the comment, you what? Must be born again and going through all of that. Then John the Baptist makes what would be his final tribute to to Jesus. In John chapter 3, with verse 22, it says, After these things, Jesus went with his disciples into the Judean countryside, where he tarried with them, baptizing. And John, too, was baptizing at uh, Enon, near Salim, since the, waiting, uh, since the waters were abundant there. And the people kept coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been cast into prison. Then a question arose between John's disciple and some of the Jews concerning purification, and they came up to John and said to him, Rabbi! He who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have borne witness behold this man is baptizing and all the people are going to him and John answered and said a man can take nothing except a man can take nothing except as it is given from heaven you yourselves bear me witness that i said that i that i am not the messiah but was sent to introduce him the bridegroom is he that has the bride. And the friend of the bridegroom who stands and listens uh, for him rejoices greatly when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy of mine, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, I must decrease. He who comes from above is over all. A man from the earth belongs to the earth. And from the earth he speaks, but the one who comes from heaven is over all. And what he testifies is what he has seen and heard. Yet no one is accepting his testimony. He who has accepted his testimony has set his seal that God is true. for he whom God has sent speaks God's words. For it is not by measure that God gives the Spirit. the faith <clears throat> the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes upon the son has everlasting life, but he who obeys not the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him those were John the Baptist's last ministry words in the sense of his public ministry one more event you know I I, I put you know uh, well I put two more things happen here in in, in uh, before we get to Matthew uh, and and that is the woman at the well which is an amazing picture when you think about the fact that, Jesus has decided to leave the the Galilee uh, the, the Judean area. He is headed towards Nazareth and he stops in Samaria at the well. We all are familiar with the story. Uh, you can read it in John chapter 4. But the important thing is that Jesus did two things. Or, well, he did a lot of things here. But he acknowledged one thing that was rare at that point. And that was that, you know, how important women are to God. Culturally, that had been done, you know, was wasn't evident. Not even in the Jewish culture. At the point in time that Jesus started his teaching, a husband could divorce his wife for something as insignificant as being a bad cook, and he could literally put her out at night from his house. And the next morning go down to the gate of his community with the elders and get a certificate of divorce. Okay, just it was, you know, Jesus here acknowledges that women are important. His first presentation of himself in the sense as the Messiah was to her. I think it's an awesome picture. Secondly, was the fact that she was Samaritan. I'm sure most of you understand that Samaritans were the outcasts in reference to the Hebrew culture. Samaritans had intermarried with Gentiles. They were were half Jew, half Gentile, and the lowest thing possible. Uh, A righteous Jew would walk, uh, if he was walking down the street, he would cross the street to avoid having contact with the Gentile. If they were going to uh, Galilee, as Jesus was doing, instead of going through Samaria, which Jesus was doing this way, they would go all the way around to the Jordan River, cut up that way, and avoid Samaria altogether. And so, Jesus has shown something very special here. The reality that the Samaritans are going to be a part of this picture. Not just the Gentiles, the Jews, but those guys in between that were so despised by so many, in fact, from both sides. And he acknowledges them. They come to him. He ministers to them for a couple of days. Then we finally uh, uh, get to the point where he gets to Nazareth. And if you're looking at that, you would find it in Luke chapter 4. But... What happened to Nazareth as he declared who he was by reading Isaiah and and saying these prophecies have been fulfilled in reference to him? Man, they got indignant. They really got upset. So much so that they wanted to kill him. And yet, it wasn't the time, the place. He walks away from them. And now, we come to this point where John the Baptist is arrested. He's in, in the area of Galilee, actually Nazareth. And now he goes to Capernaum to establish the base camp for his ministry. Why Capernaum? Well, it was probably one of the larger, at that point, cities in the Galilean circle of, around the Sea of Galilee. It was a fairly significant city in the sense of, of, uh, that it was, for lack of better words, middle class. Uh, It had uh, a a thriving economy. Peter lived there. The fishermen that Jesus was connecting with his ministry were from that area. And so I was looking at this and saying, well, all of these reasons. In fact, a lot of, of, of commentators were trying to get through into the emphasis. And then you realize as you read through this, the most important thing was what Matthew has been doing all along was pointing out the fulfillment of prophecy. It says here again that, that Jesus chose, it says, leaving Nazareth, went and lived to, uh, in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that the, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The importance of fulfilled prophecies all through the New Testament in reference to Jesus, are the things that give us that ability to identify the one and only person who could fulfill all of these prophecies. Uh, Josh McDowell does a great book on more than a carpenter and then evidence that demands a very Quite old books by today's standards. Uh, but uh, those were books that were coming out just when I became a Christian and were really significant in my understanding of who Jesus is. And, and the, the pictures that he, one of the things that he drew from was all of the prophetic things that, that Jesus successfully fulfilled in his ministry, in his life. Down to the point where by mathematical possibility of, of coincidence and even to the point of intention would have been what we would say mathematically impossible to have done. The prophecy that Jesus fulfills here, that Matthew records, is one that should be ringing in your ears a little bit, because it was one of our focuses. In fact, it was one of the key focuses in, in, in our preparation for Christmas through Advent, out of Matthew or out of Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah chapter nine, verse one and two. There will, uh, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, uh, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. Who is the light? Go to the verses, chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of government and of peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so we have this being identified by Matthew as a prophecy fulfilled, Jesus goes to Capernaum, establishes his ministry. That was the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the areas that were given to them at the point in time of, of the, uh, the, the after the exodus and after the wandering in the desert, the, the tribes of Naphtali and, and, and Zebulun. That was the land that was given to them. And they, boy, they greatly sinned. And they got into great darkness. And it's like God chose the darkest place of the Hebrew history to bring out His light. And so, all of that bringing us to uh, this, this Galilean ministry, if you will, that is, is, is beginning this second year of Jesus' ministry. It, kept, it took him out of direct run-ins with the Jewish leadership for a period of time. So people would look at that and say, that was, that's important. Uh, you, again, think of how upset they were when he cleansed the temple and, and this type of thing. So, uh, but I, something that I hadn't caught before was how upset the Jewish ministry establishment would be in reference to a teaching coming out of Galilee that would be recognized as from God. If it's God's, it would come out of Jerusalem. But it's coming out of Galilee. And as a result, there's a sense of offense immediately. Uh, That here Jesus is chosen as his base to be a messenger of God's kingdom in Galilee. You see, Galilee was a place that was, uh, for for lack of better words, it was was very metropolitan because all of the key routes of of, uh, travel from the east and from the north and in the sense of of caravans and, and merchandise and all this stuff came through Galilee. In fact, there's a, a, the, the, this phrase where it says in, in uh, Isaiah, uh, time has made glorious the way of the sea. One of the key routes was called the way of the sea in Galilee. And, and so uh, this you know, coming through there was, was all of these foreigners, if you will. In fact, as they came across the east and come through Galilee in this way of the sea, would connect them with the route that would take them right down to North uh, to, to Africa, and trade there. So Galilee was it was in that sense a place of of, of merchandising and the, and the sense of connecting with all of the Gentile part of the world, and so that's how it got identified as Galilee of the Gentiles. Not so much that it was full of Gentiles itself and dwelling there, but that it was in commerce and exchange and constantly full of Gentile peoples coming through major crossroad as a result there was a tremendous gentile influence and 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 what would would happen if you put it this way is to understand Jerusalem was this tremendous traditional just this is the way it is picture and Galilee was you know kind of laid back and willing to discuss things that were a little bit out of the the norm and and the Gentile influence was was part of that and so you had the, the I think John MacArthur put it a Jewish tradition atmosphere uh, that was really traditional in Jerusalem but laid back in in uh, Galilee and uh, the, the excuse me here I just Got sidetracked there. Um, So you have this this picture of 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 Galilee as uh, greatly influenced by Gentiles, kind of laid back, um, and Jesus starting his public ministry there and doing so out of the norm, out of the practice of what would be normally done. uh, there's a, a statement that, that, that again came up, John MacArthur quoted. It says that, that uh, the idea of the roads to Jerusalem end there and therefore go nowhere. <laughs> and the roads in Galilee went to the world. And, and again, this is where Jesus starts his ministry. You can get sidetracked in all of this stuff, trying to figure it out. The important things that you need to grasp that is that at the end of this first year where Jesus ends up in Galilee was that John's ministry came to an end. It ended by him being arrested by Herod. I'm not going to go into all the details about that. It's briefly mentioned in in, in Luke, what happened, was he really upset Herod because he pointed out the sins of Herod in his relationship with his current wife, one of his current wives. Okay, this is the grandson of, of of Herod the Great, and what you don't get out of the Gospels is the history of the of, of the family of Herod. You know, King Herod the Herod the Great, he had a bunch of wives, a bunch of children, and to keep their line pure, there was a bunch of intermarriage and all of this kind of stuff going on, and you know. Second cousin relationships, aunts and and nephews and and uncles and nieces getting married. And it was just a crazy, crazy thing. And and Herod Antipas was was a part of that. And his relationship with Herodias, his wife, who was the wife of his brother, ex-wife of his brother, also was in that lineage. And so it was all corrupted. And John the Baptist said, this is all wrong. This is not the way it should be. And he stood literally, if you will, on the street corner preaching against King Herod, or Herod Antipas, actually, not King Herod. And as a result, Herod wanted to kind of leave him alone. But Herodias was really upset, put it into a situation where Herod arrested John. John was probably in prison for a year and a half before he was executed, But his arrest and being put in prison was the end of his ministry. And at that point the beginning of Jesus' ministry in the public eye. Mark says that uh, in chapter 1 that Jesus said all things basically are fulfilled at this point. My ministry now begins. And both of them emphasizing the reality of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ's kingdom and John had made that clear and I was thinking about the kingdom of God and the reality that everyone who confesses with their mouth who believes in their heart that Jesus is the Christ the son of God has received him as their savior everyone who has done that is a part of that kingdom as the children of God Gentile, Jew, it doesn't make any difference if you've confessed him.
1: We are the children
0: of God. Made possible because Jesus brought his light into a dark world and revealed the love of God. The law had revealed his holiness, and the reality that we couldn't get close to his throne. Jesus, God in the flesh, reveals the Father in his love and compassion for us. That through the cross, he would bring peace between all who would enter into that relationship. But through the cross, with you know, that Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, he would bring peace for all who would enter into that relationship with God, resulting in the reality that what we shared last week we can come to the throne of God with an absolute confidence that His mercy and grace is available for our every need. At communion, we are the children of God coming together to say thank you to the God of all creation for redeeming us, for paying the price, For the words, it is finished on the cross. And so I'd ask the ushers to come, pass out the communion. I'd ask that you'd hold it until we've all been served, that we might share it together. Uh, Have the worship team come back up and and, uh, uh, sing the worship song for communion this morning.
1: of angels dance around his throne as thousands more sing now new songs and elders strong
0: Access, but through the blood of Christ. Him, him alone, period. And so we, we come back to, and, and I seem to be repeating it a lot, but Paul writing, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's not a quiet thing we do, by the way. Jesus makes it very clear as we proclaim Him, He will stand before the throne on our behalf. And so we come this morning believers, joining myriads upon myriads of believers this morning who have shared around the table because of the blood of Christ. The words that is finished cover us completely. Jesus took the bread to be the symbol of his flesh. Using the bread of the meal that he shared with the disciples the night he was betrayed, he offered thanks, broke it, passed it to the disciples, and he just used a simple picture. This is my body broken for you. So often as you share this, do it in remembrance of me. And then, taking the cup at the end of the meal, he said, this now represents my blood that has been poured out for you to purchase the covenant. And he asked that as often as we would drink this cup, we would do it not only in remembrance of him, but until he comes again. What a promise we rest in. The God of all creation, our Savior, will come for us. There's a trumpet day that announces the wedding feast where we will share this with him again. What an awesome, awesome picture. Let us share the cup together. Father, again, we thank You. We acknowledge that there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved but Yours and Yours alone. And as we confess, as we believe, we come to You and say thank You for revealing Yourself to us, for opening our hearts to You. Thank You for Your Word that has given us a picture of who You are and taught us the holiness of God and the need of a Savior and the reality that when we we receive that, we come wholly before you because of Christ, our high priest interceding for us. So we come as we shared last week with that absolute confidence that we will not be refused as we plead for your mercy and your grace over us and for our needs now and then the reality of, 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 of staying us through in your grace and your mercy until we rest in your presence. Until that final trumpet blow and we shall celebrate in the marriage feast we enter into eternity we said already as we sang amazing grace all the you know thousands of years will go by and we'll still be like the first day it is amazing grace thank you lord go with us now and cause us to be what we need to be in a world that is still crying in darkness that we might be the light. The light on a hillside shining out in our neighborhoods, at work, at play, whatever You lead us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.